Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 5. You weren't expecting to go to Galatians, were you? Yeah, you're, you're, you're well traveled to Romans there, but keep going for 2 Corinthians. Galatians, the very end of the book, Galatians 5, verse 25. We'll get there in just a moment. As you're turning, uh, it's not a secret that the Chicago Bears are terrible this year. Um, but if it makes you feel any better, my home team, from, I'm from Philly, Philadelphia Eagles, not much better, right? These days, the only sport I really watch is soccer, which you know is the real football, right? Any soccer fans in here? Let me see your hands. There's like five of us, right? Okay. Yes. That's right. I see it. I see that hand. <laughs> uh, I started following Liverpool Football Club, and uh, it, it didn't take me long in starting to watch Liverpool play soccer that every home game they sang the same song every single time. And uh, I thought that was pretty neat. You know, powerful, 50,000 fans singing together in unison. Some sober, some not. But they're all singing together. They're all in unison, like a camaraderie that's there. And it's, it's very powerful to see that, that unison. And um, what was more interesting to me, though, was the name of the song. It's called You'll Never Walk Alone by Jerry and the Pacemakers from the 1940s. This song is so old. Like, you hear it, and you're like... Why has this song become an anthem for the team? In fact, it's part of their logo now. It says, you'll never walk alone. That's 92. I think they added that. If you go through the gates at Anfield Stadium there, there's a big, you'll never walk alone right above the gate as you walk in. Why? Why is that so powerful for a team, for a city? And if you talk to any of the fans or the players, what they'll say is they'll say, you know what? We need each other. Good times, bad times. No matter what, we need each other. Now, there are more important things than football or soccer, okay? But in life, when we go through joyous moments, we want to celebrate with people. And when we go through difficult times, we want to lament with people. We want each other's shoulders to cry on. And this is the way that we are designed by God. We're hardwired this way. And I don't care if you're an extrovert or an introvert or whatever your Enneagram number is, okay? We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need people in our life and I plan to show you from Scripture this morning, God has designed it this way for a reason. So if you look at Galatians 5 and come to the very end of the chapter, verse 25, and we're going to read verse 25 through chapter 6, 5. So if you'll follow along as I read God's word here, here's what it says, Galatians 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, it's capitalized there, the Holy Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. This is God's word. Now, a little background on the book of Galatians, because you might be familiar with this book, maybe you're not, but Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia, and he does something in the beginning of the book that he doesn't do anywhere else. He cuts right to the chase. He skips the normal niceties and the greetings that he usually gives in his letters, and he gets right to it because the situation is dire, there are these false teachers who've snuck in. 
He calls them Judaizers. They're, the, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And what they're doing is they're twisting the gospel and they're, they're kind of polluting the gospel so that the people are hearing something that is inaccurate. They're be, being told that salvation begins by faith in Jesus Christ, faith. But it's completed by keeping the Jewish law. And this is how you're a Christian. And so there's all kinds of things going on in the church. So Paul's primary thrust throughout Galatians is really this idea of freedom. Freedom from the burden of law-keeping, freedom from condemnation, freedom from performance in order to please God, freedom. Freedom to live out, out of our identity in Christ. So who we are in Christ, we're now free to live that way and and walk with Christ. Or walk in the Holy Spirit, chapter 5, verse 16, you see that, walk in. In the spirit. So this is what he's been talking about through the book. We come into the chapter 5 and 6, and we're getting very practical, as he often does in the end of his letters. And if your Bibles are open, I want you to glance above our text that we read and just notice the context. We're really familiar with Galatians 5, verse 22 and verse 23. We call those what? The fruits of the Spirit, right? We, we, some of you could rattle them off. We know that passage We understand this is the fruits of the Spirit. Actually, in chapter 5, there are two lists, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. And so we come to 525, and it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. As Christians, we live in the Spirit. This is a fact. Like, we've died to the old life, and now we live in the operation of the Spirit. And he says, if you live in the Spirit, also walk in the Spirit. Like, live that way. This is your identity. You're alive in Christ, okay? Now live that way. Live in such a way that you're walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, becoming what you already are, which is what Paul talks about often in his letters, right? Here's what you are in Christ. You are a new creation. You're, you have the Holy Spirit filling you. Now walk in that. Now become what you already are. So what does that look like? This is what he talks about here, and, and, he, and he says, strive to keep in step with the Spirit, in step. All my points are going to have the word step in them. It should keep it easy for you, okay? You're like, all of them, how many are there? Well, we'll just see, okay? What does it mean to keep in step? It means to follow, to imitate, to, it's a military term where like in formation, you, you follow, you know, you're in, you're in formation, you're copying, you're following. I was thinking about it this way, you know, I, I, get to walk to church because I live close enough, which is a blessing, except there's like half a foot of snow. It's not as much of a blessing. Um, But what I've learned to do is just kind of take boots and make tracks, right? The first time across, you know, I'm good. So then every time I go across for the next, oh, I don't know, two months that it's frozen and snow there, I can just step in the the, the steps and kind of copy what I was doing before, and it keeps my shoes from getting, you know, all wet and all that kind of stuff. So thinking about this concept of walking in the Spirit, you know, keeping in step. So the Holy Spirit is leading you where to go, and you're saying, where do you want me to go? And you're just trying to keep in step with the Spirit. I had this happen this week. Uh, as I was preparing for the sermon, I had this moment where it was like, what am I supposed to do? And then I sit there and think, well, I know what the Spirit is telling me to do. His Word is clear on this. I can decide to walk in that way and step in the steps He wants me to or decide not to and go the direction that I want to go. And so it's keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, that's not a terrible illustration, really, except for the fact that when you look at chapter 5 and 6, 
and you look at the context, it's not just me and the Holy Spirit out there in the snow by ourselves. It's not just me in the cold, the Northwest Indiana cold, just stepping, just me and the Spirit. When we look at the context, there's actually a whole lot more going on, and that's what I want you to see this morning. So we're familiar with 522 and 23 here, Fruits of the Spirit. But if you would, look, at, look with me at the context. Go back to chapter 5, verse 13 and 15. Right before the Fruits of the Spirit passage... And here we read Paul saying, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by each other. And then, of course, we just read 525 through 6.5, in fact, all the way through 6.10. It's this loving other people. There's social implications. And what this tells me, these bookends, you know, before the Fruits of the Spirit passage and after the Fruits of the Spirit passage, tells me that you don't exhibit the Fruits of the Spirit in a vacuum. In fact, look at that list of Fruits of the Spirit. Can you do any one of those things by yourself? And you might say, well, I do need to love myself. I need to be patient with myself. Okay, but... Patience is really tested when you're with those annoying people, when you're with other human beings. Like that's where you see the fruits of the Spirit, whether you have them or you don't have them. So you, you, you practice the fruits of the Spirit in community. So when we think about our spiritual walk only in a personal, private way, just me and Jesus, we, we miss something. We miss something because Paul is telling us the only way you can really show the fruits of the Spirit is with other people. You might say, oh, I have the fruits of the Spirit. I got lots of, lots of love, lots of patience, lots of gentleness. But if no one ever sees it, is it really there? It's kind of like the tree that falls in the forest and no one's around. Does it actually make a sound, right? We don't know. Well, scientifically it does. But, you know, you can say I have the fruits of the Spirit. You can believe that you're growing in the fruits of the Spirit. You can believe you're walking with Christ so closely following in the steps of the Spirit. But if you don't show it to anyone around you who's a believer... It begs the question if it's real. I I think about it this way. It's not just me following in this Holy Spirit's footsteps. All the while, I need to look to the right and to the left because there are people around me also trying to follow in the steps of the Spirit. It's not just me out there in the snow by myself with the Holy Spirit. It's us together trying to keep in step with the Spirit. And now all of a sudden I realize there's there's a lot of stuff going on and there's people around me. Phil Riken said this, the life of the Spirit flourishes for the sake of others. It is not experienced in private primarily, but exercised in public. Therefore, it does not grow in isolation, but within the community of faith. Spiritual life is meant to be shared. It is less like a fruit tree hidden away somewhere in a secret garden and more like one that grows in a public park. Here's the point. Who is running this race beside you? Don't just think about your spiritual walk as me and Jesus. Yes, there's a personal, intimate aspect to that, of course. But who else is in this with you? Who else is trying to keep in step with the Spirit? And Paul does use this uh, terminology of a race, even in this chapter, chapter 5. He says, you guys, you Galatians, you were running so well. You were running the race well. What happened, he says. And often Paul talks about the, the Christian life like a marathon, like a running race. But I want to propose to you this morning that The Christian race is actually a little bit more like a three-legged marathon than like a traditional marathon. 
Now stay with me. Do you, do you guys remember when you were kids and field day came and then you had to do the three-legged race? How many of you did that? It's not just a Pennsylvania thing, right? You guys did, okay, pure carnage. Like bodies and burlap and it's just like, I mean, little kids trying to, already trying to figure out coordination and they're trying to like stay together. And I think the Christian life is a, a whole lot more like a three-legged marathon than it is like a traditional marathon. Now, how many of you want to try that? <laughs> that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that because it's so much easier to just run free. Like a lot of us are like, I don't even want to do that in a marathon. But if you're going to run a marathon, you don't want somebody you know, dragging you down. You don't have to worry about like, are you okay, man? Are you okay? You know? You just want to run. You want to run free. And, and, and I think some of us think about this with our Christian life. Like, God, other Christians are just going to slow me down. And like, if I'm linked arm to arm with another believer, I think I'm better just to run free in Christ. That's what Galatians is about, right? Freedom. Except when you look at the book, the, 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 the theme is, yes, you are free, but your freedom has limitations. You're freed so that you can serve others in love. So really, there is this aspect of like, it's not just me running this race. I'm linked up with some other believers, brothers and sisters. How are my relationships? We think it's going to slow us down. It's not going to slow us down. It's actually going to increase our stamina and increase our speed to be with other believers who we can be there for one another and bear one another's burdens. By the way, I did Google three-legged marathons, and there are some people who are crazy enough to have done it. And the world record is like just a couple minutes over three hours, which is not too shabby. I can't, couldn't do that now myself. Like, that's impressive. And in the body of Christ, we need each other. We need to run with our brothers and sisters. I want you to look at verse 25 and 26 again here. And I want you to see how verse 26 is the opposite of verse 25. 25 says, live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let's not do this, it says. Let's not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Being conceited, provoking, and, and envying other people, other Christians, put us, us out of step with the Holy Spirit. And of course, out of step with the other Christians that were con, you know, conceited about, were conceited over, or were envious of, or were provoking. We're out of step. So Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, and there's a lot of this going on. Okay, There's, there's, there's animosity. There's Basically, teachers or pastors in the church saying, you got to submit to circumcision in order to be a Christian. So some Christians are doing that. And then other Christians are like, mm, no, no, not doing that. No. The gospel doesn't tell me to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then you have other Christians that are just confused. Like, what are we supposed to do here? Are we supposed to keep the law or not? And so there's this air of animosity that's, that's, that the lines are being drawn between different groups. I want you to look at verse 26, these social sins that Paul references here. Let's dig into them a little bit. We have conceit, first of all. And that word conceit is empty boasting, like hollow, vain. Literal translation, compound word, vain glory. Some of the old translations, that's what they say, vain glory. It's, it's, it's boasting, but it's boasting inaccurately. You don't have what you think you have. You are not what you think you are. It's a skewed View of ourselves, it's not really based on the facts. Here's an example. It's like watching American Idol, right? And one of those people, we don't know what God, gifts God gave them, but he didn't give them the gift of singing, okay? And they're done. They get cut from American Idol, but they're still on camera going, I don't know what the problem with those judges is, especially Simon. I got the best singing voice in this whole competition. 
And we're all like, no, honey, no, you don't. (laughs) And that person is conceited. They have an inaccurate view of themselves. But you know that the winner of American Idol can also be conceited. It's not just for the delusional. Okay, if you, if you win the whole competition, if you've got a beautiful singing voice, but you fail to realize that God gifted you and gave you that gift, guess what? Your view of yourself is inaccurate. You think that you did it. You think that you were all that. Really, God gave it to you. So unless the person says, this is a gift from God, I'm just using it, that is conceit. It's an inaccurate view of ourselves. Really, anytime you boast about anything, you're failing to see things accurately. Here's the essence of conceit, and I have a little drawing up here for you, but conceit is basically thinking we are more valuable than we really are. We are valuable. We're made in the image of God. But to think that we are more valuable than the next person or just to have an inflated view of ourselves, it's also a failure to see our weaknesses in that moment and others' strengths. Sure, we might be good at something, but we also have our weaknesses. And guess what? Other people have strengths. This is this inaccurate view of myself, an inaccurate view of others, and it's caused by self-deception. Paul talks about that in 6.3 here. He says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, can you admit with me that we all do struggle with conceit and envy? Like every one of us? I don't know if you're willing to admit that, but I admit I struggle with this. In fact, C.S. Lewis, and if he says something, it's got to be right, right? He says, if you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. We all struggle with an inaccurate view of ourselves, thinking we are something that we're not. So how do we gain a more accurate view? How do we cure this this situation of envy and conceit? One antidote is all throughout the book of Galatians, it's the gospel. That's one antidote. And we've been seeing the gospel time and time again in our Roman study. I won't say much about that. But the more that you meditate on the gospel, the more you chew on the fact that I'm a sinner, I don't deserve salvation, but Jesus Christ hung on that cross in my place, well, that puts things in perspective. Now I see myself a little bit more accurately. I'm not all that. But I'm in Christ And that identity is beautiful, so that the gospel certainly will be an antidote here. But I want to look at another antidote that's in our text, and that's the antidote of community. Community. There's something about getting to know someone, like really getting to know someone, like heart level, that shapes you, that that helps you see yourself differently and, and, and really more accurately. And take marriage for an example, right? I've been married to Jen for 18 years, and the longer we're married and the more that we honestly dialogue and communicate, the more that I learn about myself, the more that I learn about her, strengths and weaknesses. And if I'm failing to see those strengths or weaknesses, she will help me see those strengths and weaknesses, right? And me with her, it's this idea of forget about the facade, forget about what anyone at work thinks you are, at church thinks you are. This person knows you, and this person is able to get to the real you and it allows us to be vulnerable, allows us to see, the, see accurately. Because we all have this problem of seeing ourselves differently than we really are. The better we can pray for other people when we actually communicate about who we are and what we're struggling with. Think of James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's powerful. 
Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Like that's what happens when you put the guard down and you actually get real with people. So remember this imagery, right, of, of keeping in step with the Spirit. You're trying to step in the Spirit's footsteps wherever He leads you, but you're not alone. Linked to you are these other brothers and sisters who are also trying to take steps in the Spirit. We're not to have conceit or envy for one another. We're supposed to have healthy relationship, walking lockstep, able to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit in community, not just by ourselves. So what does this look like? Paul gives us a couple examples in chapter 6 here, verse 1 and verse 2. You'll notice uh, these are, this is what it looks like to walk lockstep with other Christians. I want to start with verse 2 because I think verse 1 is a really beautiful example of verse 2. So verse 2, bearing burdens, bearing one another's burdens, he says. And we all bear burdens, don't we? I mean, just being human, just living in this universe, you can't escape the weightiness of being human, getting older, losing a job, bearing a loved one. I mean, I I so appreciate Heidi's testimony, man, how God has worked in that. You know, it doesn't always end up that way. We lose those that we love. But even when we go through those trials like that, we, we bear one another's burdens. Even though we all bear burdens, God didn't design us to bear it alone. We can't. Some things are too weighty to bear by yourself. And so we have these other people around us who help, who, who we can lean on, who minister to us. And isn't there something so gospel-centered about this? Right? Like bearing somebody's burden just seems to me to be very Christ-like, which is why I appreciate the example here of Joy just saying, you know what? I'll do this for my brother in Christ. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's bearing a burden that she would not have to bear, but she's chosen to bear. That's Christ-like to bear burdens. Paul says when we do this, when we bear burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. So remember, Jesus gave his disciples this new law. Love one another as I have loved you, this new commandment, he says. And then Jesus shows us what it means to bear burdens by becoming the burden bearer par excellence, right? There is no better burden bearer than Jesus. He's there on the cross, right, hanging. And what is he bearing in that moment? He's bearing my sins. He's bearing the weight, the weight of guilt, the weight of condemnation, yea, even the weight of the wrath of God. You and I can't bear that weight, not not in this life or the life to come. We're going to be crushed under that weight. But Jesus hangs there in my place. And can I just say to you that if you've never looked to the cross and submitted and said, Jesus, I can't bear the weight of my sin. I know I'm a sinner I know I've dishonored you. Would you take that weight? Would you take that guilt? Would you take that crushing condemnation and bear it for me? He promises to do that. He promises to be your savior. That is the burden bearer par excellence. That's what Jesus is. So this fulfills the law of Christ. Whenever you bear a Christian's burdens, you're picturing Jesus in a very small way. Here's an application I want to make from the passage, and maybe it's obvious to you. I don't know. But how can we bear somebody's burdens if we don't know their burdens? If we don't know somebody well enough to know what they're really struggling with, how do we bear their burdens? Or how do we do what chapter 6 verse 1 says here, this example of bearing burdens? How are we going 
to help somebody who's caught in a transgression or caught in a sin unless we know that they're caught, unless we develop the relationship of transparency and vulnerability, how are we going to do this? How are we going to one another very well? I'd say that walking in lockstep will enable us to detect missteps. If you're walking in lockstep with people, now you're going to notice when they stumble. I mean, if you're in a three-legged marathon, or let's just stick with a three-legged, like, 50-yard dash, okay? Let's do that. And somebody stumbles and they trip, are you going to know? I mean, yeah, because you're tied to them, right? You're probably going down, too, and you're trying to, you ever had this? You're trying to, like, yank, you're just dragging the person along? Or maybe you're the one that was dragged, I don't know. You're going to know if somebody falters, if somebody's falling, if you're close to them. But if you're not close to them, if they're 50 yards ahead in the race, how are you going to know? You're not going to know. So we have, to, we have to get to know people better and give them the permission to know us better. This is how we fight against the inaccurate view of ourselves because we bear one another's burdens. We help each other out with these missteps. The word transgression here literally means false step, trespassing. It's a, it's a misstep. So instead of walking in the spirit, we misstep, and now we've transgressed. And so we see a brother or see a sister who's caught in this transgression, and all of us have this. We all stumble. We all falter, all of us. So what do we do when we see our brother or sister falter? What do we do according to the scripture? 6-1, gentle restoration. Gentle restoration. They're caught. They're trapped. They need help. And it actually has the idea of unawareness. They might not even know they're caught, but they're caught. I have a dog. He is both one of the biggest blessings and curses of my life, but he will, we have a long line, and when we let him out, and he goes on this long line, and what does he do? Half of the time, he gets himself wrapped around this bush, that bush, that tree, and then he's caught there, like choking himself, and he's, and he's barking, and you go to try to help him, and a lot of times he freaks, right? He's like, oh, like, I mean, he's been caught, and so you have to like gently, like, it's okay, buddy, it's, you know, that kind of thing. And sometimes this happens to us in life. We, we, we find our way. We decide we're going to go this way. We think it's good. We haven't really realized that all of a sudden we're caught choking ourselves, and it takes a brother or sister sometimes to come along and say, hey, can I help you? Are you okay? And Paul says, when you do this, be realistic and beware because you yourself could fall. And you're no better than them. This could be you caught right there. This could be you if it weren't for the grace of God. No one in here is exempt from any sins that have been committed by anyone else in this room. We all could be in that situation, but by the grace of God. And so we go into it humbly, and we go into it soberly. But we go, and we try to help the person. And there's a temptation sometimes to say, well, I don't know if I really want to confront them. Like, I don't know them that well. Or that's not my responsibility. That's the elder's job, right? Or just we have all these excuses. But in reality, when one part of the body suffers... The whole body suffers of the church. Phil Riken said this, Unfortunately, Christians do not always offer sinners very good treatment. Sometimes we ignore sin. Lacking the courage to confront it, we simply pretend it isn't there. We act like timid medical students who see a patient with a bone fragment sticking out of his arm but are afraid to touch it. And that's a great analogy because the word here for restore in our text in secular Greek, was a medical term for setting a bone or a fracture, a broken bone. So we really, I mean, I think that's why he's giving us this illustration. You see the problem, but you don't really want to go there. You don't really want to touch it. It's kind of, it's uncomfortable, right? 
If we're part of the body of Christ, we bear responsibility for one another. And it could be that they don't even realize. Like, they, they got a bone sticking out of their flesh, and they're like, it's just a flesh wound. And you're like, no, I, are you sure you're okay? Like, we got, sometimes self-deception is so, it's so rampant, and so we might not even realize how much we need the help. And so if we're going to go help our brothers and sisters, we better make sure we're trying to walk in the steps of the Spirit Yes, faltering at times, because we all make mistakes, but trying, striving, because we can't help them if we're not also walking in the Spirit. Martin Luther said this, Therefore, Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones that they may bear flesh. That is the weakness of their brethren. Look at verse 4 and 5 of chapter 6 with me here one last time. So chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. And not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So first reading of this, it's a little weird, right? Like he says, bear one another's burdens. And then he says, bear your own burden. Like, well, what's going on, Paul? Well, the word burden in verse 2, the word load in verse 5 are different Greek words. And if if you get into that a little bit, the word he uses for burden here is almost always an overwhelming, crushing weight The word he uses for load here can be a heavy or light weight, but often scholars have have illustrated this by a personal pack, like a backpack. It's a burden that you have to bear, and only you can bear it, and it's a weight, which at times is heavier than others, but it's something that you bear. Different word this used. And so, really, we're back to where we began in chapter 5, verse 25, the, the personal responsibility of walking in the Spirit. No one can do that for me. We help each other, yes. We lean on each other, but I have to be submitting to the Holy Spirit. You can't do that for me. That's the burden I'm called to bear. So I love this beautiful picture here because what we have is our personal responsibility of walking in the Spirit, submitting to Christ, but we also have around us brothers and sisters. You're not alone. And if you're in here this morning, you feel like you're alone, I want you to know you're not alone. We are here for you. We would love to, to help you find ways to be ministered to, and to minister. But can you see how that's a very different scenario than just me in the snow with Jesus? Just me by myself. That's not the spiritual life. It's not the spiritual walk. And I think this is so important. Why do I think it's so important? Because if we don't consider the people around us and really have vulnerable, honest relationships, I think what we're going to do is we're going to fall into the landmine of self-deception. Comparing ourselves to every other person, you know, you can always find 10 people worse than you. You can always find 10 people probably better than you in some, some aspect. But we're not called to compare ourselves to each other. We're called to be real with each other, confess our sins to one another, and let the Holy Spirit show us who we really are. And that's freeing. That's freeing. Peter Scazzaro said this, the possibility of self-deception is so great that without mature companions, we can easily fall into the trap of living in illusions. I think Peter hits it the nail right on the head there. If you don't have mature believers in your life, you're going to fall into this deception, this land of illusions where you think you are something, you are not. It reminds me of Hebrews 3.13, kind of finished with this verse. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. It's the same thing, right? We need each other. We need to exhort one another because sin is deceitful. It's so deceitful. And if we don't have people in our life exhorting us, encouraging us, confronting us, 
we're going to be deceived. So we very much need one another. We don't have to walk alone. Now I'm going to do something a little different. I've left a few minutes here. Chris is, pastor Chris is going to come up with me. Pastor Chris is our, our pastor of small groups. So we have two Crown Point pastors with us today. We're just trying to pull them over one by one. All right. So yeah, thank you for Chris. Um, you kind of care about this. I mean, it's your job. So, but. Yeah. so I wanted to, we wanted to have an opportunity for Chris just to say a few words and maybe us back and forth here because um, you kind of somewhat eat, breathe, and drink this stuff. And I, I've, I've been able to spend enough time with you that I know it's not just a job. You, you really believe in this. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy our, our talks of the week sometimes because I know our, kind of our, our heartbeat for discipleship. And it's just, it's kind of the last, it's Hebrews 3 that you just put up there. Right, that's just who we are as human beings. Where we are uh, prone to sin's deceit in our lives. It's just true. And so um, the antidote for that is the church, mm-hmm. uh, one another. And um, for us not to lean into that, uh, it's just blatantly obvious what happens uh, when we don't. And so, um, and I just think that's the heartbeat of, of the church. And so I just love to be down in the nitty gritty of the stuff that usually doesn't make a video. Um, you know, I was thinking one of, the, one of the things you didn't see on Heidi's video, but the thing that I know happened, because I, I, mm. I know a lot of the ins and outs of the story, was the people that walked beside her and bared her burdens with her. Mm. And I see some of you nodding right now, and those are probably some of the same people that, that did mm. that. And um, just the, the beauty and the power of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. It sounds glorious today, but it's not that easy, right? <laughs> w- w- what is hard about these kind of relationships? Well, it's hard because there's like sin coming at us from, from the outside and the inside, what, right? Romans 7, right? That there's this battle going on within us that we want this stuff mm-hmm. to be glorious and real in our lives. And yet there's that um, when you get a bunch of sinful people in a, in a group together or whatever, just trying to do this, this thing together, it gets messy. Um, but, but that's the story of Scripture, right? You look from Genesis to Revelation, it's in one sense just this big mess, but you can trace God's hand through every single um, piece of that mess uh, from Genesis to Revelation. So it's hard in, in, because of our sin, and yet, when you think of the context of Galatians 5, it's talking about um, walking in the Spirit and, and that, you know, boy, we're no longer slaves to sin, right? We don't have to do that. We now have the power of Christ in us and in us together, especially that to, to overcome that. And, mm-hmm. and so the good news is, and the hope is we really can live this stuff out. It won't be easy. Everything will be tough, but we can still have the fruit of the spirit in the middle of that, the joy and the peace and all that kind of stuff that we can't produce in ourselves, but that comes when we interact with each other with Christ at the center. Mm. Yeah. I read this week, the church is a mess worth making. And, um, what would you say to somebody who they haven't gone there, uh, Maybe they're scared. Maybe they've been hurt before from Christians or something. And uh, what's holding people back sometimes from being vulnerable and real in relationships like this? Yeah, I think if you've never experienced it before, um, you know, I, I, I don't think, even those that of us that have, I, I don't know that we understand what we're a part of, like in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's where God says he lives today and, and, and the power that is at work, his power at work within us as his body, again, not because of us, but because of him, um, or we do have, we have a bad experience because, again, um, sinful humans together tend to hurt each other. Uh, and yet, I heard a great analogy, some author I can't remember years ago said, it's kind of like eating, 
right? Like if you go out, um, maybe even at home, uh, you have a bad meal, you don't just go, well, I'm done eating, I think, you know, for the rest of time, whatever. Well, of course you don't do that. You just, you, you go to another restaurant or you, the next meal, you, you know a good meal is coming at some point, you know? And, and I just got to trust scripture, even if I don't have experience to trust, I can trust what God says and that this is good and this is, this is the way that I'm, I'm to walk and we're to walk with each other. I don't just give it up because, it, again, like eating, it is, it's essential. It's just, you know, life and breath for us. Yeah, we're saved individually, but we're saved into this thing called the church. We're saved into one another as the context for living all this out, like yeah. you said. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you give us a couple examples or practical ways that somebody could develop relationships, get involved at Bethel if they're not? Yeah, and again, I think just think this is essential because I think just Pastor Mark nailed it. We just, our propensity to, to um, you know, focus on ourselves and that manifests itself in, um, you know, in, or not even ourselves, just our family or whatever else, that we find ourselves maybe too busy to really dig into some of this stuff. Or, you know, we think that we couldn't possibly, we don't know enough, of, you know, about things, to, you know, as much as, as Mark knows, so we couldn't. You know, it, but Scripture kind of says both of those things are, are, are false, that we need, I need you, you need me, and that's just the way it works. And so for next steps in that um, something as simple as not even maybe joining a formal small group or, or a Bible study, but just leveraging relationships that you already have with each other, grabbing something like, in fact, on the way out, if you want to stop by the welcome desk, I've got a, a book that I think is just really good. We, we've put it in, the, in a few people's hands and said, hey, grab a couple other people and just start going through this together because it's very much focused on what we're talking about and just helps you kind of walk through that with each other. So maybe just some, some relationships you already have, grab this book or something like that and just go through them. Uh, and if you need help getting into more of a formal small group, uh, then, you know, stop by, talk to me or, or fill something out online and we'll call and have a conversation with you. Here at, at, at the Cedar Lake campus, um, Tony and Megan Thompson, every Sunday morning at 9, lead a, a small group that you can just walk right into uh, at, at any point. And so just as a really quick and easy next step, that's a good way to do it, too. So mm-hmm. a lot of different ways. I think the important thing is just, just doing it, just taking a step. Yeah, Chris will be out there by the welcome desk. Go see him, get to know him a little bit. Um, this is essential for us to multiply disciples when Jesus tells us to go make disciples, if everyone is relying on Pastor Mark and Chris and others to disciple them, we, we will do our best and we love to disciple. But there's something you can do for those around you. You might be, you're here in the race and I'm here in the race and you got people right around you already that you can minister to that I, I may not even be able to minister to. So for us to do this together, man, I just feel like it's going to grow the body, multiply the body. I'm very passionate about it. Chris is too. I just say, I think discipling each other, sometimes we get scared of that. Mm-hmm. Like, we got to know all this kind of stuff and, and, and teach each other information. And it's, I think, really, you know, scripturally is, is more of this kind of thing, just stepping into life with each other and, and discipling each other, making, yeah. pointing each other back to Christ. Yeah.